it's a smart money. I said, fuck you, smart money. I'm the smart guy. You are the money. I just want your money. <laughs> and then I found out that there's no smart money. I still think the same way, but there's the dumb money. My name is Derek Hall. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of Migos. Um, and I'm also partners with the guy next to me, Miguel Berger Calderon. I'll let him introduce himself, but thanks so much for being here. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the dynamic, the relationship dynamic between founders and investors. And hopefully, we can get into some of the conversations that are hard for most of us here and you know break it down into how the, the best founders and the best investors kind of manage that relationship dynamic there just kind of said i'm i'm miguel we're partners at bff um co-hosting this uh, with uh, bhop here so thank you very much for having us thank you george um we're very proud that finally investors and bhop um, after meeting for a long time and having many conversations um, cheers to that Thank you. <laughs> um, so me personally, I'll, I'll keep it very brief. Um, I was fortunate enough to start two companies in the US. One was in digital media, the second was, was in data infrastructure, specifically data privacy. So automating compliance like LGBT here in Brazil, but mostly GDPR in Europe and CCPA in the US. Um, I was fortunate enough to switch sides after very actively angel investing for over 10 years. And I've become very bullish um, over the last two plus years in Latin America, specifically here in Brazil, um, as we saw a great opportunity um, for investing in early stage companies uh, with our backgrounds uh, being former operators or still operators in Derek's case. We're very focused on in investing in B2B SaaS, FinTech and data infrastructure. So we're always happy to speak to anyone, even if you're just at idea stage, thinking about starting something. Um, it's never too early for us. Nice boy. <laughs> 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 Sorry now, guys. Uh, so I'm Patrick. I'm the father of iFood. And then I stayed uh, a couple of years at Neon Bank. And I started also Nomad Bank. It's not a bank, but it's for Belen that is here. We need to improve it. So it's a bank. <laughs> and I'm a forest engineer. So very odd, uh, different than most of the people in this area. And I'm here to answer questions and whatever. Miguel, Miguel asked me to come. I'm not the guy that likes to speak, but he's, since he's a very nice guy, I'm here. But, uh, hopefully you all get the chance to hear him as Patrick has a lot of wisdom to share. He's very humble. Hello, everybody. Nice to meet you. And thank you, Miguel and Derek and George for ever having us. Um, my name is Belen. I'm here representing Thrive Capital. We're an investment firm out of New York City, investing really across stages, sectors, and geographies, but like Miguel, very bullish on Latin America and very excited to be here. Well, guys, I am Jorge from Behub. We are a back office as a service platform. The type of janitor, you know, from the future, we handle like accounts payable, accounts receivable, bookkeeping, taxes, everything that you guys don't want to do. There is not product, 
selling, growing your company. We're happy to handle that for you. And we are super happy to host you guys here and, you know, share this, this stage with these amazing people uh, just uh, at our side. Hope you enjoy it. And afterwards, we're going to have this uh, happy hour with some good drinks and, and beer and hope you, you enjoy it. And the ones that are willing to, we'll have our annual event tomorrow. If you guys are interested, uh, happy to, to talk to you and, and provide you with a ticket if you want. Thank you. So Paul Graham from Y Combinator uh, and Andrew Chen from Andreessen Horowitz talk about this period of time that 99% of startups go through, which they uh, coined the, the trough of sorrow. So it's that point in time when you just raise a seed round, you promise your investors this big vision that you're going to go after. You got the headline in TechCrunch. Everything looks like it's going up and to the right. And then you spend the next like six to 18 months suffering, trying to find product market fit. And when I think about the, you know, when I think about myself as a founder, um, and when I talk to a lot of other founders, a lot of the stress, a lot of the anxiety that founders feel on a day-to-day -day basis is how do I give bad news to an investor? Or how do I call up the investor and say, things are not working, uh, or we need to change the, the vision of the company, we need to go into a new direction. Um, and so the, the first thing I thought we could talk about is uh, sharing, bad, sharing bad news with your investors. For those of you who have been founders, um, what, you know, what's the advice there? And then for those of us who are investors, um, we would love to have you share some insights and thoughts on uh, how to deal with those tough conversations from your end as well. Most of us here in the panel have been both sides, so I can see from both. Um, I was fortunate enough when I started my first business, um, we had some terrible investors. It caused us a lot of headache, um, but we also were fortunate enough to have some very good angel investors who were great mentors and some until today, um, I consider them uh, great people and sources to, to speak with. So one of the greatest um, advice that we learned early on was that Good news, you can always, you know, send it in an email, you know, pound your chest, you know, tap yourself on the back and it's all good and it's great. But bad news, you should always be very to the point, very transparent and immediately share it with your investor base. Um, maybe you can set it out in writing and then maybe getting more calls. Um, but one of the things that I, a piece of advice that I got that I always stuck with me is treat your investors like your insurance policy. Because when shit hits the fan, it's not you know, an if, it's a when. If your investors are not the ones who are sticking with you, then, then who will? And you want to make sure that they're emotionally invested with you when things happen. Um, therefore, you just have to have a cadence with them and always, always do regular updates with them. But especially when it's bad news, you want to get out right in front, be transparent, and hopefully you know, they'll be understanding and they'll try to help be part of the solution. Do we have bad news to share? <laughs> Probably not, right? So uh, I think it's important to know how is 
your bank account before you share news. And I also don't like to share a lot of news if I don't need to. So I think depending on the stage of the company, it uh, changes a lot. Uh, when you have a board, and then you have to, the board meeting, then you have to share all the news. And for bad news, I think the, the fastest you can share, the better. Uh, and then you should get the guys on your side. Then they are part of the bad news as well, and they are with you trying to find a solution. Otherwise, it's you against them. So uh, it's really important to share, like Miguel said, uh, as soon as possible and in a transparent way. And much better if you have money that you can have some time to change and get to a, a different position. So Derek, I think the other question I'm going to ask is related to uh, how can you help and like as a VC or, and I think the VCs, uh, I'm also went to the other side for a couple of years and I'm still doing some investments. And the first thing I say to the, the founder is like, the best help I can give you is not bothering you. So I really don't want to distress and don't want to harm you. So just work. And if I have to help you a lot, I probably made a bad decision. So I really want you to make the business and you know more the business than me. So why should I help you? So I have my business to run. I have a VC to run. I have to make money. I have to raise money from LPs. So uh, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you have to help a lot the, the, the founders. And so I think it's uh, really, there's no much. Uh, if you don't share a lot of information, you don't have the VCs coming after you and you're having to explain because that's going to give you, require a lot of time. And sometimes they'll try to find a solution for you that you don't want. And they're going to take you out of your way. And that's what I don't like. That's why a lot uh, of them feel like it's their job to say, oh, you came to me with a problem. Yeah, and Let my, me help you solve it. Yeah. Uh, now I think we can talk like that. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to. Yeah. Belen, what do you think? I think. One point is to maybe make the VC relationship less abstract. It's like any relationship you have with anybody. You know, there's a level of trust. There's a level of how often you communicate. There's a level of how informal is it or how formal is it when you communicate. Are you emailing in a very formal way or are you on WhatsApp? Um, and so I think, you know, your relationship with your VC starts even before they invest. Once they invest, there's a question of how do you kick it off? How do you kind of build trust in those early days, what degree of information sharing are you going to establish? To your point, Patrick, I think different investors have different desire for getting involved and different founders have different desires for how involved they want their investors to be. And so setting those expectations up front should make it a lot easier when bad news inevitably does happen um, to figure out the kind of, you know, how you're going to share it, what it's going to feel like when you share it. And then also critically, what is the point of sharing it? You know, to an extent, you know, there are owners in your cap table and there's a responsibility to have good open lines of communication and they'll probably find out eventually, so you should be incredibly transparent. But then the other point of sharing the bad news is, well, am I letting you know just to let you know or am I letting you know because, you know, I could use your perspective on if you're seeing this in other portfolio companies, if you've ever seen this, if you have an operational team that can, you know, help us in this particular moment diagnose the issue. And so it really is a case-by-case -case basis, but the best way to deal with any of these problems is to have a good line of communication up front or whatever line of communication you want. Belaine, on that front, um, what are some things that you've done either pre-investment or post-investment to build trust between 
yourself and the founders that you work with? Yeah. Because part, part of it is them getting comfortable. Uh, you know, there's always, especially for first time founders, there's a, the relationship can be awkward because they don't know how to deal with it. The investor just gave them a five or $10 million check and now they feel this huge sense of responsibility. Um, and sharing any kind of news is maybe a little um, uncomfortable. Yeah, totally. I think the first thing is that if you're working with someone that's used to investing in companies at your stage, they know what to expect. They know that you know the product is an evolution, that the you know things that look very tied together in the pitch deck actually mask a much more complicated reality under the surface. And uh, they know this when they're investing. You know, they might have different styles as to how deeply they want to probe during the investment process. But I think first, just kind of recognizing that everybody is at least implicitly on the same page about how complicated company building actually is, is just a helpful starting point. Um, at Thrive, we're investing across stages from very early to very late. And I think one learning that comes from that is not only how complicated things are at the early stage, but how complicated they continue to be at late stages. And companies are ready for an IPO and you know, their financials are all you know, confusing and need extra help to, to get kind of cleaned up. And we're also helping incubate companies. And I think in those stages, you also see you know, people have all these big ideas. It's difficult to get them off the ground. You don't really, everything that you're dreaming up you know, with your peers in a Google Drive can manifest in a very different way once you actually take out to customers, et cetera. And so to get back to your original question, the first thing is just an understanding that your investors have seen companies at the earliest stages and they understand that there's going to be messiness. Um, and then I think it's on both sides to build that trust. You know, I think on the investor, it's incumbent to not be a bad vibe when <laughs> things are challenging. It's a great way to put it. And to not breathe down your neck to, you know, to recognize that you have a lot of stuff on your plate and getting back to you on being updated on, you know, every last thing is probably not the first priority that should be on your plate. And so I think that all just comes back down to the relationship of trust. And it's like you build any relationship of trust, you know, honesty and understanding and good energy. Georgie, you have a, an A-list group of investors on your cap table. Uh, this has all happened quite fast. How did you build those relationships early on and how are things going now? Well, uh, people ask me, oh, how, how did you manage to, to raise like 180 million reais with less than a year of a company? It actually took like eight or nine years. This is my third company. So I started uh, right after I left Pironet. I was 24 years old back then. And I found my first company was a peer-to-peer -peer lending uh, platform. We committed all of the mistakes possible. I almost entered into bankruptcy several times. At one point, I was like 26 years old, and I had like over 5 million reais in debt. And thanks God, and with the help of a few folks, we managed to turn things around sold the companies, but it actually took me a lot of time to, you know, actually build this trust. Uh, and I learned that there is like a symmetry of information, uh, which is huge, uh, especially given the fact that Brazilian uh, VC ecosystem is rather young in comparison to the, the U.S. So I think now we're, we're getting to a maturity point, a track record point that 
that things are getting much easier. So the, the contracts are getting more standardized, uh, the way for you to keep your, your investor posted. Uh, by the way, I do think that, like you said, it's sometimes, I, I do think that if you take into perspective, the time that uh, a board member stays with a company and with a, uh, an entrepreneur is actually longer than the average married time in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken. So it's, like, it's, it's a relationship built for, for long term. And I do think that for us as founders, we need to keep this trust, uh, this transparency uh, as we develop it. But one thing, though, if I, if I would recommend is, is rather try, try not to create uh, unreasonable expectations. I pref- I, for us, like a, no matter what, until the fifth business day, we'll send uh, the investor update, no matter what. But we try to keep information on the input level, right? We, we do not try to say, oh, we're going to grow that much, etc. We try to keep that out of the, the report as much as possible. But we do keep them informed on the input and on the fact after the inputs that we perform. By doing that, I, I, I do think that we, we keep control of things that are with our control. And then we say, hey, we did that and that was, was the effect. So I'm, this is it's the way for, for me to handle. I'm not like Patrick. Patrick's, come on, uh, he knows what he's doing. Uh, so he, he has the like uh, better uh, uh, room to accommodate that on my, my side. I, I need it's to good be when you say that. I don't say anything. I don't think it's true, but it's okay. But, but, but George, you, so you update your investors on a monthly basis? On a monthly basis. And what is the structure of that update, yeah. generally, generally speaking? So, come on, we, we are janitors, like, like we said, so we do back office, so we need to, you know, to give an example. So, uh, we always send that, that's why we send on a monthly basis, and we actually use that as, as a, a means for us to learn what, what is better, because once we started, we, we showed, like, financials, but then the people were saying, yeah, but what is exactly this, this number that you're, you are reporting? And, and then we, we learned on the go, and, but I do think that we have like an structure through which we, we pre- present the financials with like an explanation of uh, what we're showing there. Uh, and then we, we also provide uh, some bullet points on the things that we concentrated efforts at. Uh, some KPIs, they are important. We do have like four or five KPIs, which are very important for the business. And we have some uh, spot, there's like, uh, low lights and highlights uh, during the this uh, period, but uh, yeah, it's it's mostly straightforward. It's not. It's less storytelling, more yeah. reporting. It's, it's it's really objective. Uh, we do bring a lot of financials um, because yeah, it's it's a heavy operational stuff what we do. So we do try to 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 show that it's on, on the metrics. It we try to be more on the data driven, like really objective. But uh, yeah, it we're learning. We're learning continue to learn. I think the point on the inputs is a really interesting one though, because unless it's some unexpected, you know, catastrophic thing that's driving the bad news, oftentimes understanding just the inputs and like, you know, you could understand top line revenue and how that's evolving, but maybe the composition of the revenue is changing or the durability of it or how much it costs to acquire it or the concentration of the underlying customers. Like there's a million kind of more complicated things happening underneath the top line and happening 
at the inputs of your company? You know, is it all coming from a few top performers that are at risk of leaving? Whatever it might be. And so trying to um, have, if you have the relationship with your investor that's one of regular communication and updates, which isn't the case in every investor um, founder relationship, but if you do, having it at the level of the inputs feels like a very good idea that might lead to more visibility into the leading indicators of you know, success and of hiccups. Belaine, what do you advise your founders to uh, update you on a monthly basis, quarterly? Does it matter? Does it depend on the stage? Yeah, I think we ultimately let them choose. Obviously, depending on the stage, they might have different kind of, you know, at a certain point, we start to expect regular board meetings. But I think the ideal that we're opting for is that we're just a phone call or a message away. And so, you know, we're on a, some of the groups that we're in, we're just in a WhatsApp group and they'll send, hey, you know, this contract got signed or, hey, you know, we're about to hire this person. Can you like join for an interview or can you join for a reference call? And so I think it's that kind of tight cadence that it might be in, you know, every day for two weeks if there's a lot going on, or it might be nothing for two months if they're very heads down on something and just focused on executing. Like there's no hard and fast rule. I think it depends on your relationship. Uh, I think that's the most important thing. I think when we are talking about the early stage, and that's what I was yep. mentioning here, it's really hard to report a lot of stuff. And you have normally a lot of investors, and you have the angel investors. And when they start giving information, they start thinking and giving a lot of uh, like uh, advising and uh, asking more questions. And then you get you start to work for them. And then it's really bad. And you have, like Belen was saying, like you need to get a match between you and the investor, because otherwise it's not going to work. And normally you have a lot of investors. Some you have a good match, some you don't. And some you know that you can count on. They are going to help you when you need. And the others, they just want to be there bothering or talking to a friend that, oh, look at that, how much they grow. And, then. and also, there's a lot of information about the company that is not nice when you send away because you don't know, you don't control information anymore. So I think when you report, for me, the most important thing is to, to have the goals because a lot of companies that report, they just send what they think is nice, right? So they, they want to, to make the investor happy. So, oh, look at that, it's growing. And in the other report, they change all the, the KPIs and send other stuff. And then, so first, I, I want that, those KPIs and also want to know what was the expectation for you. So I think when you are like after series A or B, then it's a different game. Then you need to report, then you need to be serious because, and you can do that only in the board meeting because then it's the, the people that really are inside the company. And, but I saw a lot of people just like over-promising and under-delivering. So I like what Roger said, like just like don't disappoint your investor. It's good when they, they, they see that you can perform and, and they start to, to understand how you think, right? And what, are you really, like, the, the relation, it's like one-year relation to get the money from a good investor. Like, it takes a while, like, you need to go out, have some drinks, and then, because you need to, to really make sure it's going to work. And then, like, the reporting time, it's also important for that. So I think it's, uh, it depends a lot, but uh, it's really important to have the goals, like, what was the, the, the planned, like, uh, the goals, right, for the KPIs and how you are performing. And not changing that every month. Every every month you change everything. So then it's not time to report. How do you how do you comfortably set goals at the early stages, or are you talking about the later stages when you actually know what, how the business is working? 
for us, we have goals every time, although it changes a lot. So I think it's important to have goals. And in iFood, it was very easy business because we have to order food. And there's two ways of doing that. You get new customers or you have a better engagement, a recurrency that it's improving. And we knew, like in the beginning, it was like 3.7 orders a year per user. And we knew the cost, we knew the cost of acquiring a new customer. So it was really easy to plan. Very straightforward KPIs. Yes, and we were growing like 9.5% every month. That's around 3x every year for many years. Old times, very easy, no money, no ups and downs, a lot of ups, and no like uh, competition. Was uh, you had time to to plan to to execute, and then when we got the the the, the, the competitors, uh, the market changed, and that was really good for us because we were very well positioned, and the market started changing because we never imagined that people are gonna download an app, install it, and make the, the, the onboarding, and then order. It was much easier to just call, right? Call the, the call center we had. I want that and that. And then they know it was ordered. So a lot of things there. But I, I know in my experience, uh, some of my investors, the relationship is very formal. We don't talk that often. Uh, some of them, like Miguel, it's like we talk daily. Uh, it's WhatsApp. It's very informal. It's BFF Ventures. No ventures, just BFF. <laughs> um, yeah, is, is that the same for, for all of you guys and and for the investors here as well? Uh, some of your relationships are daily WhatsApp, quick messages. But I don't I, know if you guys saw like last week some of the messages between Elon Musk and his investors that he was raising capital for the Twitter deal. Like very informal. It was like, hey, Larry, uh, we'd love to have you on, on the cap table. Count me in for a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. And Elon's response was, I think you should put at least two. <laughs> okay. Like, that was, that's how he raised two billion from Larry Ellison. Um, well, to George's point, he didn't do that in two minutes. It's <laughs> a long-term relationship. That was a 30-year plan. That was a 30-year yeah. build-up to it. Yeah, there's definitely differences like any relationship between people. I think investing up front into figuring out what the dynamic is, um, is helpful. And then... Can you get too informal? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I think the... I think it just depends on kind of the role that you want the investor to play in the company. And so some investors want to have more of a operational hand, some investors want to be more strategic, some investors, you know, don't want to be that involved. It completely depends. Um, and then one thing I would advise founders to do is to figure out kind of what's on the menu of options for an investor, because I think even a given investor <coughs> that willingness or the capability to get any degree of involved, um, there can be kind of like a pull versus push dynamic of how much a founder is actually asking for. And so, you know, I would say in general, don't be shy with your investor. Ask for what you want out of the relationship. And if, you know, if it's not what the investor is kind of ready to give or not the investment format that they're used to, then you'll find that out. But generally, don't be shy about asking for any kind of support that you think would be valuable. I think that brings up a great point, though, that you should probably try and do that before you go into the marriage. Um, like we were just talking about it earlier as well, it just reminded me is like we were thinking about 
don't be shy as a founder. It's a, it's a two-way street. The same way that investors are diligencing the founders, you as the founders, you should also be diligencing the investors. And even before that, like one of the big things that I've been doing a lot with first-time founders is when, um, let's say, it's a B2B payments company. Um, and they just I, and they say, like, hey, can you, I think I'm ready now to do a pre-seed or a seed round. I would love to speak, you know, to these 30 different investors. And I look at the lists, and within a minute, I already know that 10 of those I can take out because B2B payments is not part of their investment thesis. Um, so I would highly encourage you to do that homework as well. Um, and not just look at the firm, but also look at the partners. And try to come up with a robust list of people and firms that are in line with the way you think about you, how do you want to build your business. And to Belen's point as well, is like, you know, there's all these different options on the menu. Are you, I guess if you're a repeat founder, you've already gone through that once before, so you already have a much better understanding. Um, but even then, you know, okay, I'm someone like Patrick. I've already done it a couple of times. I have a lot of experience. Like, I don't really need a lot of hands-on investors. Please just come and, you know, I'm gracious enough to take your money and I'm going to build another rocket ship. Um, but then you have other, invest, uh, other founders who are not as self-aware and, you know, they might not fully understand what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses. So I highly encourage you to be honest with yourself and just also think about is like which parts of the business are you going to need more help with? Let's say you're starting a B2B payments company and you're both two former early engineers at Nubank. So you're probably really strong engineers, but when it comes to go-to-market strategy and sales, that's probably going to be one of your weaknesses. So try to think about which early-stage investors um, have a strength in that sense and are really going to be able to help you to build the business in that sense. And, and yeah, definitely don't be shy in pushing investors and asking those questions and finding out, you know, what is it that they want to be doing with you as an investor and how much do they want to help you or not? And also what are the strengths and in which areas? And one thing that I always recommend as well is um, try to do um, off-list references as well. Because when you speak with investors, they will tell you, oh yeah, of course, talk to my new bank, talk to my Rappi and so on. And when you happen to speak to those you know, founders, they'll tell you, oh yeah, of course they were great investors because um, it's funny, like the best investments are the ones, like to Patrick's point, are the ones that are going to need the least amount of your help. You're going to be spending most of your time with the companies that are struggling. And I feel like that's the difference between a good and a great investor, because it's the same as a marriage. If the marriage is going bad, hopefully, you know, you're committed to it and you're just going to walk away quickly either. So you want to find out if the investors are similar like that as well. And you can usually find out pretty quickly off-list references, especially from companies that they invested in and didn't work out. And you you get some great advice from investors like that. Like that's how, with in my first business, we had some investors who were a huge pain in the ass and we was like, okay, we're gonna learn from those mistakes. And with my second company, we had amazing seed investors, but we did the homework. Like we really diligenced all of them from the different term sheets that we had, and, and we put in the work and started speaking with friends who were other founders, and especially with some where it didn't work out. And they gave us great references of those investors and said, you know what, it was really shit times and it was really difficult, but they stuck by us. George, I, I know you've you've raised a lot of capital in the last year or two. Um, you love that, don't you? <laughs> no, I mean, th this is what we're talking about here. Uh, but I, I would assume some of those investors that you brought onto your cap table, you met them like 
a week or two before. Uh, how did you accelerate that process of getting to know them? Yeah, that, that is a that is a great question. So it, it's it's a combination, right? Because it's actually tough for you to get confidence, right? To get trust. So uh, and that that's why we try to send this like on a very precise manner in order to like to build trust because of, of the consistency. Because I do think that if you do things consistently, that's how you build trust. And, and another means for you to get confidence is uh, truth referral, on a referral basis, which is precisely what you said. So for instance, on my case, uh, uh, we were invested by Monashis, Marcelo Lima. Marcelo Lima, I met him like nine years ago. And uh, he witnessed firsthand my development as an entrepreneur. To be honest, I started as an asshole. I was really young and I thought I, I knew everything. It took me quite a while for me to Don't understand. Don't we all go through that? I beg your pardon? Don't we all go through I that? I think we all yeah, do. Some people yeah. stay assholes. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. So, yeah, but uh, he witnessed that and uh, he, he then uh, built trust uh, in us as founders. And, and then he invested. And then he started referring his network to us. That's how we met with Carlo. Uh, with you and uh, one thing is that you, like you said it's like a, a, a marriage and I think if, if you start like really pushy really uh, like in this transactional means I don't think that there is a really a, a, a means for you to start with the right food I do try to meet with the person try to see you know if I if we have like a matching, because sometimes maybe a great investor, but uh, we are not within, you know, the range of the the, per, the investment thesis or so on. So I, I I try to get to the conversation with no sort of pressure, and then let's see if there is a match. Let let's see. But uh, I I really try to you know uh, just uh, get to know the person, present our thesis, uh, get some feedback because. I do think it takes a while for, for you to understand and for you to, you know, uh, create a bond because it, it's all about long term. You know, VC is not something like really transactional based. It's, it's uh, come on, you, you're doing this for, for quite a while, like third company. It's, it's all about relationship and uh, it takes a while, you know. I, I, if you're, there, there is a common say that people say that, when, when you are asking for an investment, you get an advice. Yeah. When you ask for an advice, like you, you're not like uh, asking for it, then eventually you get an investment. So I do think there, there's, uh, it, it makes sense. But Derek, I think most of the people here that wants to raise money, they are saying we are a little ahead, right? They just want the money. They, they don't care if it's the best VC or the second best, right? That's what they think right now. Yes, they, and then you get burned in, once in, or twice. In 12, 18 months from now, that's when they realize, <laughs> shit, I, 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 shouldn't, so I shouldn't have accelerated we, so fast. I think we should discuss here what's a good VC. Yeah. Because that's really important. What's a good VC? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> and a tough one to, to answer. But uh, for me, one, I think there are... I guess are, everyone has their own definition. Yeah, let, let's try here. So <laughs> I think it's not uh, on this order. But one thing is like, you want to VC that it's, 
doing VC for a long time, that knows what he's doing. Because then he knows the rules, how it's going to work, if you need to, to ask for information, if you don't need to, to report, whatever. It's easy. It's going to give you standard terms. It's, it's part of their, 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 what they do, right? So it's much, much, much easier. When you're starting, normally you get the, the second tier, and then you just go for them, and uh, that's the money, and it's a little bit more money. I remember when I was raising for iFood, I had two VCs in Brazil, only two. Uh, one was Monashis. I sat in the table. It was a round table. I was asking for money, what I was doing. And the guy was Carlo Dalpuzo. And he said, oh, okay, let's think. And I was driving my green Clio 1.2 in Junjai. <laughs> and then he called me. Uh, and I was very excited. I, the guy's going to say, what's going to happen? Uh, we have three yellow flags. Uh, fuck, what's a yellow flag? <laughs> I want money or no money evaluation. <laughs> And in the end, was like uh, I, the cap table wasn't good. I didn't know what was a cap table. Then I found out uh, <laughs> technology was outsourced most of it, and the market wasn't huge enough. So I said, "What? Uh, it's this like, is for iFood." For iFood, yes. <laughs> uh, it should be like one billion, and it looks like it's like half a, a billion. That's why it's a white, uh, a yellow flag because it's almost there. So that's. A, and evaluation, because we already had somebody that was going to give uh, 3 million reais for 30% of iFood. And no, no, we can what go probably half of that. And I said, uh, but you need to be worried because it's a smart money. I said, fuck you, smart money. I'm the smart guy. You are the money. I just want your money. <laughs> and then I found out that there's no smart money. I still think the same way, but there's the dumb money. That, that's the harm VCs that can make you not go ahead. So that's the, the thing you have to, to worry about. So one thing is the VC that knows what they are doing. Another thing I really appreciate is a VC where the people running the VC have been the other side. They operated before. They understand what you are going through. And that's really, really important. And I think that's the, why I can get a lot of angels talking to me. Because they know, like, uh, I can understand what they are, the, the pains or what are going on there. And a lot of VCs, uh, they, they, this nice guy from McKinsey, from Bain, from whatever. And, but he, he's just there like uh, it's hard. No, and sometimes it doesn't match. Because you want a guy that understands what's going on on your head. That has been an asshole as you before, something like that. So it's, it's important. So that's the second thing. And one thing that puts all together is the stamp, right? Uh, I believe most of you here are not here because of me, are because of Belen, because of Tribe, because that's the good stamp you want to get, right? It's a, a nice, because that's all, then you don't need to be relationship, uh, you have all the, 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 like you said, the referrals. If you have a nice VC, and it took me, I don't know, 12 years to get Monashis for Nomad, because uh, I got a no from them, right? Then. For Nola said, I just want your money. You want to put money in me? Yes. Okay, then. So it was closed around. <laughs> and so it's, if you have the stamp, if you have a good VC, then you, the other fund will know, like, this guy knows what he's doing, knows the founder, knows how to do diligence or whatever. So it's, it's much easier. So it's really important to find the best VCs. Uh, I don't think they're going to help you a lot. If they're doing so, it's, a problem, and, but you need to have a good connection 
and it's good when they have uh, uh, been on the other side or have this uh, like good uh, stamp to, to help you then. So. Thanks, Patrick. Do you guys agree with Patrick? To a certain extent. Uh, I've suffered that in my first company. So for instance, we started, I was 24 years old and then, come on, I was so naive and yeah, it was tough. But then, you know, we started receiving all of these checks. There was no such thing as safe. Back then, yes. it was like convertible note, but with all of that clauses, which were very shady, very gray zone. <laughs> and, and then my first company for 46 million reais, I was like 27. But then I actually received nothing in the beginning. Uh, and these guys, they, I, I actually end up, ended up with 15% of that amount. But uh, in the first, I actually was like totally, you know, uh, dragged to that. It, it wasn't even me that, that like, I was there, you know, <laughs> working like crazy. And we got this amazing results for, for a company. It was like two, two years. We, we raised like 1.5 million reais and we got an exit of 46. 19 months uh, and then yeah there was all of these like super pre preference shares like 3x uh, preference liquidation preference things like really crazy result that, that invested they received like over 11x what they invested in like 18 months but it was good because I learned understood uh, there was a time that I got to, to talk with all of the VCs and VCs said, hey, uh, amazing what you, you're doing. Congratulations on the effort, but we are not going to invest because your cap table shit. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Then I learned I got a little bad. You wasn't to raise from one of sheets, but yeah, we raised from like good, good investment, but not so great. But then eventually we learned how to do things, but uh, yeah, you totally said it. Because yeah, once you have like the proper VC stamp, that opens a lot of doors. It's like a great signal that you're making good strides. Yeah, but I think it's also important to mention that I agree with everything you guys are saying, but at the same time, the reality is very few people will get that stamp from Munashis. Let's uh, use them as an example. Um, so I think we also should talk a little bit about the rest of the landscape where I agree with everything we're saying, like what's the definition of a good or a bad VC? Similar to you, unfortunately, I have a really shit experience with my first business as well. Um, to your point, we took dumb money. Um, it wasn't even that we gave up too much of the business. It was more that we gave up board control, like right out of the gates. Um, and we just had two and two. So ironically, the better the business was going, the harder it was to become, uh, to get real investors to invest because same answers. It's like they look at the cap table, they look at the board and they're like, there's no way we're putting money in unless you know, we clean this up. And then of course the dumb money, wouldn't, they wouldn't budge on that. In hindsight, it turned out that it was like a blessing because we ended up selling our business at the time where most of our competitors after, because um, our business was very Facebook heavy related. Um, dependent on Facebook and we sold in in January 2015 and that was literally a couple of months before Facebook just shot off the fire hose and about 95% of our competitors all went to shit 
Like they had Lightspeed as lead investors and a bunch of other great investors. They all had to write off their investment. Um, and we ended up getting a, a great return. We said, sold for 50 million and raised two and a half. Um, most of the money, like in your case, unfortunately, went to the investors as well. But to your point, you know, you, you live and you learn and you move on. Um, but the point that I want to make is that, of course, you want to have the blue chip investors because it's great stamp of approval and will open other doors. But I do believe that it's not all just on that. Like I've, with the second business, yes, we had great blue chip seed investors and then Series A investors. But we also picked, as I was saying before, like you know, to your point, we also went through the extra work of finding VCs that were up and coming, that we got references on them. And some of them were former operators, some of them were great investors, but they were hungry. They were on their second or third fund. And if you have a healthy balance, I think it can work really well too. Because to your point, like all the great investors, they will only start interacting with you when you actually ask them for help and don't get annoying unless you want their help. But we actually got some great help from some from the smaller and, and, and younger funds who still felt the need having to prove themselves. Um, that when we asked them for help, some of them actually were much more helpful than some of the quote-unquote big blue STEM funds. What, what kind of help is valuable as a founder? I mean, it really depends on what, kind of, what you're asking. I mean, for example, my second business was a highly technical business, selling developer tools to engineering organizations. Customers were like Twitter, you know, um, Twilio, and you know, two other types. So in that case, we just wanted to have access to, to great CISOs and great privacy engineers and, and be, able to, be able to speak with them, learn from them. So some of these you know, smaller but more, I would say, more niche VCs who had really deep relationships in that ecosystem, they were actually the ones that were able to give us those introductions and help us to, to build that. Or in some cases when we were thinking about, thinking about the strategy of our sales team, how we should think about building our sales team because it wasn't working as we would have liked to. They made some introductions to amazing enterprise SaaS uh, sales leaders. <clears throat> Billy, uh, uh, go ahead, George. No, I was just going to, to comment on one thing that you said because a, a good VC is, uh, is the VC that makes you and your company more successful. In the beginning, in coming to that question earlier, earlier on, which was, what is your goal? If you're like early stage, everybody has a single goal, which is to find product market fit, right? And I, I do think that there are some investors that can help you with that. And I do think that if you are successful, uh, if your company is doing great, even if you don't have the connections, there are good chances that you're going to find amazing VCs and amazing partners for you to even uh, enhance even further your success. So. I do think that in the beginning, it's all about product market fit. And if you get there, you're going to have options, either to sell your company, to bring amazing VCs. For instance, uh, Pedro Conrad from Neon is a good friend of mine. He suffered everything within his journey, but uh, it's very true, and nowadays a unicorn. So I, I do think that if, you, if you're, your company is doing well, if you find product market fit and you're building a good company, the chances are that some, somehow you're going to find a way. And if you have like amazing people with you on the trenches, I do think that this makes a ton of difference because especially if you're starting up, uh, I would love to have 
guys like really with me up in there in the beginning because to be honest, I, I have no clue what I was doing. It took me a while. Before. Yeah, I also think it's worth acknowledging incredible things like the community that you're clearly cultivating here because even just hearing the experiences from kind of the trenches that the founders here have gone through, um, a lot of it, you know, you should be getting advice from everybody in your community around you, other founders, angels, lawyers, <laughs> et cetera, to help prepare you in these moments. Because obviously a lot of the learnings are going to come through experience, but some of them, communities like this could help accelerate, probably. Let's take some questions. Anybody, anybody have a question? Just, yeah, let me go ahead. just like, when I raised from this fund that paid twice as much as Monashi's for iFood, after one year, and when they, they approached us, like, oh, we are a very nice fund, we have a lot of money, and after you execute well, in next year, I said, okay, it's free money. Like, for me, 30%, take it, <laughs> give me the money. That's, because before, it was my own money putting, like, making it. So it was a totally different time. After one year, we ran out of money. We are doing well. But they said, oh, we don't have, we couldn't uh, raise for our fund. I said, what is that? Like, I don't know. Uh, how does a VC operate? You know, <laughs> you have to raise money. I have to raise money. Oh, okay. Now you have the LP. So it, that's a true story. Right? I didn't know anything about it. So I said, okay, so what should I do? No, you need to look <laughs> somewhere, somewhere else because we don't have more money. So I went out looking for money. Then I got this, uh, uh, got money from Movili. That's a little strategic money. And that caused a lot of problem in the future. So it was a time. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, totally different and like no standard uh, contracts. Nothing was the oh. same. The VCs were different. So then I was in Eon. And Eon uh, was one of the first investors and, uh, as an angel. And after one year, I created my own fund. I invested a lot of money. Uh, I helped him to get my brother to be the, the CEO. Norberto, the guy running like uh, uh, another part of the, 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 the broker. Uh, I went there as well for two years. And then we helped to raise Series A. So I'm saying that because that's what you're mentioning. Like, there's a lot of help that you can do to help when they don't know how to do it the first time. And Pedro said, like, you really helped me. And he's much smarter than me. Like, if you talk today to Pedro, like, there's no comparison. It's totally different. And then we raised the, be the best Series A of Brazil. And it was all over the news. <laughs> Next day was a Friday morning. I was 6 o'clock in the morning. I got my phone. It was Pedro. It's over. <laughs> Game over. What's going on? No, no. The central bank intervened, shut down the bank. It's over. I said, no. The, Take it easy. And then we, I went back to Sao Paulo and then we, we negotiated with the other bank and we were able to, to, to go live on Monday. So we said we died on, on a Friday and we really whatever on a Monday. Or you, another thing was do like Neon, change our bank. Yes. <laughs> so, so I think to the point of Miguel, there's a lot of things and today it's different. Like an entrepreneur today, it's very different than it was before. And there's a lot of, it's very, it's a lot of specialization in different areas. And sometimes you need some, somebody to help with that. And in the very early stage, you should not get money from a good VC. Because you should get money from people that can really help you. And then uh, normally like a small VC, the guy that is going to be very close to you, is going to help you to do the strategic, to raise the money 
on a Series A or whatever from the best VCs. So don't waste a lot of time getting money if you can wait a little bit, and then you can have the angels or small VCs that can really help. Billy, we, we yes. talked about... And I'm just here because of him. So I was just, just going to say, I did not pay him for this. This is not an ad, but thank you. <laughs> I think he was, he was very happy when oh, I said the other things. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> Billy, we talked about uh, having that stamp of approval, what that means for a startup. Thrive Capital's one of the top-tier firms that can definitely give that stamp of approval to companies. How do you think about that and other uh, ways that you and your team like to add value to the companies that you work with? Yeah. I think um, Thrive likes to take, and anybody who's had a pitch meeting with me has heard me say this, but a pretty high conviction, high concentration approach. And I think there's lots of different ways to kind of create an investment portfolio. Um, and it can make a lot of sense to be very diversified and exposed to a sector or an industry or anything. Thrive's approach is that we want to have a very product-first lens and we want to be partners for a very long time. Ever since you said that comment about um, board relationships lasting longer than a U.S. marriage, I'm wondering how long Brazilian marriages last, by contrast. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> it's, have the data. It's, it's, it's more than the U.S., I think. The, the divorce in the U.S. is much higher than in Brazil, I think. Interesting. Yeah. Well, probably for a later conversation. Um, <laughs> but, we'll check the data. Yeah. Get back to you. <laughs> but yeah, I think we want to be partners for a very long time. For us, that also means that we want to be pretty hands-on. And so our investment team is 10 people, but we have an operational team that's 20 people and growing. And it includes some people that worked at McKinsey and are crushers at doing research and doing market analysis and helping you figure out your market sizing and helping you calculate your unit economics and do your cohort retention and all that kind of very detailed stuff. It includes people that were, you know, CFOs at tech companies that can help you figure out how to best manage your finances. It includes people that are very good at data science that are you know, working with the data teams at our portfolio companies and getting live stream of data and looking at it from an outside in perspective to try to give different interpretation and different analysis. Now, to Patrick's point, we're not gonna make or break the success of our portfolio companies, um, but we think that what we can try to do is have a very strategic outside in perspective that on specific areas of development or in identifying specific new opportunities, or in helping through a moment of crisis or strategic orientation, we can actually add value. And I think the other part of it is, you know, we try to only invest where we think that we actually have a perspective or can be value additive in some way. Because um, I think, you know, there's the question of capital and how much of it do you have, but the other resource that is more limited if you can raise capital is your time. It's the same for you as it is for the investors. And so anyway, um, we think of adding value in, in those specific ways beyond the kind of stamp of approval. But I would also echo, I think, the point you've made, Miguel, about you know having investors that can add that stamp of approval, but that on the flip side are hungry and that want to work for you and want to win with you is equally important. And I think in general, you know, some of the framing of this conversation that started with, you know, how do you give bad news, et cetera, frames the relationship as potentially more tense than it needs to be. Like, at the end of the day, they're on the same side as you, and their success is your success, and your success is their success, and what everybody wants is for the company to be, you know, a, a massive kind of success and exciting outcome. And so capitalizing on the fact that you're on the same side and both have the same goals in the long term, um, 
I think is very fruitful and a kind of optimistic way to look at the relationship. That's great. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the recurring themes that I heard tonight is you should treat your investor like any other relationship. And it is a relationship. And I think it's easy, especially as first-time founders, to put those investors on a pedestal. They're the ones that are giving you the money. They're in a power position. Um, and it can be awkward, but at the end of the day, it is a relationship. Relationships need work, and they need to be built on trust, or else uh, they're, they're probably not going to last very long. So Yeah, and I think, you know, when you say putting the investors on a pedestal, like, you guys are the ones with the ideas and with the kind of visionary insight and that are taking a massive amount of risk with not just capital, but with your time and with your energy and with all the opportunity cost of the things you could be going after. And so, you know, humbly as an investor, I'll say that like the entrepreneur is definitely the one on the pedestal that's doing the much more difficult, um, challenging thing. And so, you know, we uh, always go into conversations that are very personally, very humbled by your expertise and by your effort. I think it has changed, right? Before, the investors had this pedestal, and now it's... Uh, Supply and demand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I it think is, it really is. Yeah, uh, yeah I think there's now it's a little different than it was in like in 2021, but uh, yeah, yeah, I see your point. But one, one thing that is interesting about what you said is that it, it actually goes both ways because when, when you're talking to a VC and, and you, you haven't raised yet, there's a huge asymmetry information uh, pro the VC, right? Because you're talking to a lot of VCs, they're probably talking to themselves, but you don't know. So and it's to all a lot of asymmetry information. I beg your pardon? And to all of your competitors? Yeah, true story. So yeah, this, there, there's a leverage on behalf of the investor, except for 2021, that, that was, <laughs> was different. But it is, there, there, there is such an asymmetry. But that completely changes after the investor invests. And once that happens, the asymmetry information is on the side of the, the entrepreneur. And this is, is an interesting thing because it, it's all about what we're talking about. Because after the investment is performed, you guys are aligned. The VC and you guys, they're doing all the work. You are aligned. Depends on the fund, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> normally, yeah. yes. Yeah, <laughs> but let, let's consider that we have good VCs in, uh, around. They consider themselves very good VCs, <laughs> but that's okay too. True story. <laughs> but, but, but then I, I do think that, yes, it's all about building a relationship and, and trying to, you know, uh, have a healthy one in order for you guys, because in the end of the day, you guys are, are at least aligned in the sense that you, you are together with the purpose of building a great company because that's how you're going to extract, extract value from that and your, the VCs are going to also get value of that and generate value for the uh, uh, LPs and then eventually your guys, you're going to invest, let's become an angel investor like you. So I do think that uh, it's important always for, for the entrepreneur to bear their, this in mind, this asymmetry of information in mind. Let's give it up for uh, Georgi, Belé, Patrick, and Miguel. <laughs> Let's go have drinks and we can, uh, we can do informal Q&A as we hang out. Mm -hmm. Thanks, just, everybody. Yeah, go ahead. Belay and advice.
please. <laughs> oh, it's just a joke. <laughs>